that's one of the tricks, I think, of growing into being an adult person of faith, that childish person of faith just kind of says, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to have my, quote, quiet time or, quote, devotions, and it's going to be like punching a clock. Like, well, I did that today, so I don't have to worry about God being mad at me today, or I did, I did perform my religious duty, so now God's going to bless me today. You know, if we treated a friendship or a marriage like that, they would not, the people on the other side of that relationship would not be happy. God's just waiting for us to have a deep and intimate relationship with us, and He wants to personalize it. What are those things that help us feel and experience the connection with God that is already there in Christ? That is the voice of Gary David Stratton, Dean and Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Leadership, Johnson University. He joins me today to discuss his article, The Ride. Connecting to God in Hollywood, the Ivy League, and beyond. You're listening to the podcast with John C. Lemon. Dr. Stratton, welcome. Great to be with you, John. In 2010, you were approached by Emmy Magazine for an interview. You followed up with an article titled The Ride, Connecting to God in Hollywood, the Ivy League, and beyond. Tell me about your response to Emmy Magazine and how all of this came about. Well, it almost felt like someone was pulling my leg. My assistant came into my office, which was literally right underneath the Hollywood sign, and said, Emmy Magazine's on the phone for you. And I said, ah, you're kidding me. College professors don't get called by Emmy Magazine, but this little nonprofit Hollywood professionals, Christians who are trying to train the next generation of Christians who wanted to get into mainstream film and television, wanted an educator, and that was me helping them do that. That all changed because for the first time, we had a graduate who'd won an Emmy Award. They wanted to interview the graduate who'd won the Emmy Award, but they also wanted to interview me and one of our faculty Corey Scott Pollard, who's been behind the scenes in so many as a director, assistant director in so many different television shows. I mean, I, it almost, I think he's been in 25 different shows. He was really interested in Kurt Skemper, who was the student who'd won our first Emmy. So they wanted to interview with us. But before the interview, Corey said, we need to think through our talking points. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah I guess we should. And he said, how are we going to communicate what it is that we're trying to do? And in the course of that conversation, we came up with this phrase, well, we're trying to help people live a soul-nourishing life in a soul-deadening world. Emmy really liked that. That was kind of a central piece to the article. And we realized we need to follow up on that. A couple of days later, I was sitting watching my daughter who loves horseback riding. She would groom horses and shovel stalls to be able to do that, the equestrian center and actually quite a few different places in L.A., and as I was watching her ride, I realized, wait a minute, this is the key, that the same way that riding a horse isn't, a, isn't just a mode of transportation from one place to another, it's a mode of transportation from one spiritual state to another. Classic spiritual disciplines do the same thing for a person. It brings us from one spiritual state into another, from a soul-deadened state to a soul-nourishing state. I pretty much wrote this whole article. I was sitting here watching her ride the horse. You say in this article, why would anyone invest so much time and money striving to master such an outdated mode of transportation, such as riding a horse. 
And you use that as a segue to talk about spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines and how people may find that to be outdated or perhaps even antiquated. How did you make that connection? Yeah, the equestrian center actually sits right where two of the major freeways in Los Angeles come together. And so traffic is just zipping by, you know, 65, 70, 80 miles an hour. And I realized how silly someone driving by that fast would think it is to learn to ride a horse. Because they would think if I'm going to try to get from Hollywood to Pasadena, you know, give me a jag and I can get there a lot faster. That our modern life is just like that, this super busy rushing all the time, full of hurry, full of anxiety, and that we need those disciplines that actually slow us down, that center us, that connect us first to our humanity, first to the fact that we are spiritual beings, and, and then they actually have the potential to connect us to God. What kind of things in life deaden our soul? What kind of things would we put in the category, if we were categorizing things that deaden our soul? I'm going to say, here's what's interesting about it. It isn't always so much the things as it is our response and our presence within them. Two people could face a tremendous tragedy and they're not necessarily soul deadening. What's soul deadening is our turning from our true spiritual being, from our true connectedness to one another, to our true connectedness to God, to our true connectedness to nature, to our true connectedness to the common good of those around us, these very you know deep spiritual concepts that are appreciated by people who are not just Christians, but people throughout history and through multiple religions and non-religious what deadens us is when we give in the anxiety, we give into the self-centeredness, when life becomes all about us, when we have no place to pause, no place to reflect, no place and to be fully present to where we're at. You know, one crazy spiritual discipline I tried in LA was, sounds so dumb, but I said, I'm just going to try to drive the speed limit, which nobody, I thought nobody in LA drives the speed limit, but I will, do, as a spiritual discipline, I will drive the speed limit and see what happens. Well, I would get to where I was going probably five or 10 minutes later, but I would get there actually in really good shape emotionally and spiritually. And then I was shocked to find out that my perception that everybody was going at this incredibly high speed was actually wrong. There were actually lots of people who were going the speed limit. I'm not saying we need to always do the speed limit. There are probably times when you shouldn't, but I'm just saying that when we rush, when we hurry, we lose track of, of the people around us, we track of what we're doing, and we actually often lose track of ourselves. The traffic in California is legendary. And perhaps there were days when you were being disciplined when you didn't want to. Right. Of course, sometimes the problem is the traffic's only going five miles an hour at a 70 mile per hour zone. But yeah, that's a whole nother story. You identify spiritual disciplines such as prayer, meditation, fasting, study, Torah study, as is stated in your article, and psalm singing. Even if that's off key, I imagine <laughs> still good for you. <laughs> What benefits do we get from prayer, meditation, fasting, study, and singing? Well, here's what's interesting. Andy Newberg, the University of Pennsylvania, and his research team, Andy would say, his research partner, whose name escapes me right now, doesn't believe in God at all. Andy said he's open to the idea. But they literally, they, they do magnetic resonance images of brains of people doing that. And they can look at a brain and they can tell what the person's doing. They can tell whether they're meditating or praying or thinking or doing other things. He said, and there's something that even if there is no God, and even if no prayer ever gets answered, even if it doesn't release any supernatural resources in the world, physically, it is incredibly good for you. That when we turn our attention to the divine, when we meditate on scripture, that it does something that is really positive to our mental state, which is good for our entire body and our entire nervous system. 
and that was a big seller in Hollywood, not trying to sell that prayer. You could get your prayer answered. And if you weren't careful, that became idolatry because people say, oh, if I pray, will I get more parts? People buy my screenplays. It's no, 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 no. That's not, the, that's not really what we're talking about right now. Prayer doesn't give the Christian the unfair advantage over the non-Christian in whether their work is good or they're working hard or not, but it does help us survive. It does help us even thrive in those situations. And that brings us to a question presented by Susan Isaacs, an actress who appeared on Parks and Recreation. Would you accept God's call to Hollywood if you knew that you would only have three successful years out of a 30-year career? I think there's about 500 students there. It was actually the Biola Media Conference. It was a fantastic conference. I'm sure they're going to do it again by Zoom next year. Nobody raised their hand. It was all like, well, we would never do that. And literally said to them, well, then you're not called to Hollywood. If if you're only going to come here, if you can make a ton of money and win Academy Awards, then you're not called by God here. If you're called here to be a faithful presence of the Lord to the people around you, if you're called here to influence the content that's being made here in the slightest little ways towards the good, then you need to accept the fact that the people that actually can stay here for 30 years and support themselves really only have three big years. I mean, if you look at Susan Isaac's career, she's been on lots and lots of shows, but it really is the five years she was the recurring regular on Parks and Rec was her big year. And she's done all sorts of things, stand-up comedy, written books, everything just to stay afloat. She said, you have to accept that. And the spiritual disciplines are how you, someone survives and even thrives, not only in those three years when they're hot, but in the other 27 years when they're not. Spiritual discipline doesn't promise success, but it's how you survive and thrive. I do think the Christian who's tied into the Lord, who is uh, becoming their true self, who God's created them to be because they're practicing spiritual disciplines to help them stop being the imposter and the false self and stop giving in to the flesh, I do think they have a supernatural advantage in terms of they're going to be a better version of themselves than they would have been without it. But I don't think God's up there promising, yeah, I'm going to make sure that you're the successful one. I don't think it's quite that simple. Dave Schmelzer, principal at Blue Ocean Incorporated, you mentioned also in your article, speaking of his Ivy League community, these are the brightest and most talented people in the world and the very drivenness that got them this far in a highly competitive environment prevents them from ever really enjoying the fruit of their success. Well, that'd be an example of having our soul in a place where we can't even be fully present to the people around us, can't even be present to our own success because our identity is so wrapped up in the next and the next and the next thing. Everyone thinks as soon as I make it in Hollywood or as soon as I make it in the academy or as soon as I make it in the business world, I'll be happy. And the experience of most people is that that's not really true. You reference to what the King James Version translates as yoke. Matthew 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. That word yoke may not initially sound like an attractive word, but it is. No, it probably doesn't. But in an agricultural society, it was. Matter of fact, you know, we think of a yoke as something you put on an animal. When someone was poor, they didn't have an animal. You literally, one person put the yoke on and the other person grabbed the plow and one person pulled the yoke so you could plow up your field. And so uh, it, it made sense in their culture to talk about it. Maybe it doesn't for ours, but it just it was the unique way, the things that were the dis- spiritual disciplines and the teaching that were emphasized by a given rabbi. And we know a lot of things about Jesus, but one of them we know is that he was a rabbi. He was very much working within that model. 
he wasn't so much trying to earn religious brownie points with God. It wasn't trying to get God to like you because God already loves us. But to put us in a place where we have a deep attachment to God, we can literally rest in him. And out of that, life begins to flow out of us like Jesus promises in John 15 when we are changing the agriculture metaphor just a little bit. When we cling to him like he's our vine, his life begins to flow into us and we begin to bear much fruit. What's an example of a yoke today? You know, I think it'd be like someone had a yoga instructor and they had their way of teaching yoga or someone had a tennis coach and they had a, you know, a, a, or the West Coast offense uh, in football. Be, that would be the idea of a yoga, a certain way of approaching life. Which goes back to a previous conversation, taking on the ways of the rabbi when we were discussing discipline and life as a student follower of Christ. I think it was, it was Keith Green, famous gospel singer, said that Jesus is divine and we are the branches. <laughs> uh, I remember that. That vine and branch relationship is so significant. And we can't get away from it. We keep coming back to it. Yeah, I think we all know that feeling of just feeling deadheaded and dead spiritually and just kind of unaware of what's going on without us. And that's not the way God wants us to live. That's not the way Jesus came to show us a completely and better way to live. You reference USC philosophy professor Dallas Willard. You quote him saying, God's desire for us is that we should live in him. He sends us the way to himself that shows us in his heart of hearts what God is really like indeed, what reality is really like in its deepest nature and meaning. Our universe is a community of boundless and totally competent love. Yeah, this idea that somewhere in the infinite past, the Trinity, which who shared a perfect love in a way, we, we don't even understand how you can have three persons in one nature. That, boggles our mind, but there was such a love for one another that out of there's longing to connect it to other people, the other people could share in that love. And really the, we were created so that we could share in this love of the Trinity. It's such an incredible thought. Many of us, when we look at God, we think that he's there shaking his finger at us, or he's getting ready to smash us like a bug, or he's profoundly disappointed in us in some way that that's his posture. But Jesus is saying, no, even when we've shamed him, even if we've run away from him, he's sitting still looking on the porch, looking at that hill, wondering if we'll come over the hill again. And when we do, he runs to us and embraces us. This is an amazing God. These spiritual disciplines are just simply ways to stay put in that love and to stay put in that relationship. That doesn't mean he doesn't have parts of our life that he doesn't want to change and mess around with. He's God. It doesn't mean that we, it's not his kingdom and he wants us to learn to follow his kingdom instead of trying to just do our own kingdom of our own self-centered commitments, but he loves us and he wants us to live uh, soaked in that deep blue ocean of his love. You have had the opportunity of living in different places across this country and even outside of this country. You get to meet and see various people, various economic classes, various cultures, and different settings in life, and you come to the realization that one size doesn't fit all. When it comes to renewal, people worship in different ways. 
Could you talk about that? You know, there's one danger. So many people today don't grow up with any kind of community that's taught them to thrive spiritually. The other danger is when you grow up in a community that has a way, that has a yoke, but it's not really your way and your yoke. You're a total introvert and you're part of a church community that's totally under loud, raucous, booming music. You're wired towards service and justice and service of the poor. And you're in a community that's just all, you know, they're all about evangelism, but not about anything to do with justice. Finding the things that help you personally stay deeply connected to God and deeply connected to the calling that God has on your own life, personally, your own career, your own family. We all have multiple callings. That's one of the tricks, I think, of growing into being an adult person of faith, that childish person of faith just kind of says, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to have my quote, quiet time or quote, devotions. And it's going to be like punching a clock. Like, well, I did that today. So I don't have to worry about God being mad at me today. Or I did, I did perform my religious duty. So now God's going to bless me today. You know, if we treated a friendship or a marriage like that, they would not, (laughs) the people on the other side of that relationship would not be happy. God's just waiting for us to have a deep and intimate relationship with us. And he wants to personalize it. What are those things that help us feel and experience the connection with God that is already there in Christ? It's very easy to teach people tribalism versus doctrine. And if we could spend more time on doctrine than tribal traditions, I think we will produce healthier people. Yeah. And to teach to how to have healthy disagreements and still be able to love one another. And exactly. I mean, the irony is every tribe so interested in being right. And Jesus said, well, the only way people will know that you're my followers isn't by being right, but by being loving. And so we're literally fighting to be right. And we're literally contradicting the very thing that Jesus called us to do. Uh, and we're making it impossible for uh, non-believers to see the beauty of the life of Christ. Uh, we've talked about this before, make sure we're connected to those things that all believers in all times and all cultures have always seen as self-evident. But I think it's fine to have our individual viewpoints of things in our tribes. That's where we have the greatest opportunity to, to show our love for one another. To embrace one another without getting them to conform and to do it our way. I will love you as soon as you believe like I do. I will love you as soon as you practice your faith like I do. Well, that's the exact opposite of what it is that Christ is calling us to. There is a conformity, but we're not conforming to music styles. We're not conforming to even communication styles. We're not conforming to dress codes. I'm one state over from you. That automatically means you eat certain food, you wear certain clothes, you talk a certain way, you think a certain way, you're entertained by certain things. And if you are somehow outside of that, then that's what you are. You are an outsider. As we are conforming to the person of Christ, we're not limited to cultures. It's astonishing how quickly, and this is where the spiritual disciplines and being spiritually grounded and actually following Christ and not just our tribe, or which is often our own preferences, is so important. I mean, one of the very first thing when his disciples, we finally got his disciples picked and he was going to start teaching them. This is the foundation of what it means to follow me. Probably about the first year Jesus was teaching, he was just proclaiming the good news of the kingdom coming. And now he's finally got his 12 picked. They're sitting down on the top of a mountain for what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And after talking about what a blessed life looks like, he starts going right after anger and going after hatred and saying, those are the same thing as murder. And yet, if you walk around and look at, I mean, if you go on Facebook today, you watch Christians talking to one another in ways that are full of anger and full of hatred. And it is 
straight from the pit of hell. It is exactly the opposite of the way Jesus would want us to teach one another. But when we're not spiritually grounded, we're not connected to him, we become defensive because someone is threatening my sense of identity. My identity should be rooted in Christ. I just can't believe some of the things that I read. So I don't go on Facebook that often, I'll admit it. But when I do, I just shake my head and say, Lord, help us. I think it's very unfortunate anytime we behave in such a way that misrepresents Christ. I think of Mahatma Gandhi. I think of what he said, that I would be a Christian if it were not for Christians. The gospel message is a beautiful message, but I see so much misrepresentation. It makes me doubt the message because of those representing the message or claiming to represent the message. It's something we must always remember. The spiritual disciplines help us to find those pathways that best help us connect to God, who loves us unconditionally. They don't earn us points, but it allows us to find a pathway to his love that's already existent and unconditional. Yeah. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus, is to be in relationship with him, is to abide in his presence, is to master his teachings, to follow his rule of life, his way, his yoke. And I would love to see a, a renewal, a, a revival of truly biblical faith, as opposed to so much what we see today that is fighting over things that I'm not sure, I'm sure Jesus cares about, but I'm not sure he wants them to divide us. The article is titled, The Ride, Connecting to God in Hollywood, the Ivy League, and beyond. Dr. Stratton, thank you for dropping by for today's conversation. Oh, thanks so much. It's always great to be with you. Gary David Stratton, Dean and Professor of Spiritual Formation and Cultural Leadership, Johnson University. For additional information on spiritual disciplines, visit GaryDavidStratton.com. That's our podcast for today. I'm John C. Lemon. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.